Into every generation, there is a chosen one. Uh, excuse me, two. One girl in all the world. Two, two girls? Who is this guy? She is... This might have been a... Big Miss Stake. Stake. S-T-A-K-E. Like what you kill a vampire with. A Buffy podcast. Hey y'all, it's us. From Big Miss Steak. You know, the podcast that you're listening to. Look, don't be mad, but these few episodes sound a little... rough. Like, Xander's wardrobe rough. We know. But don't worry... Starting in episode four, we have real microphones and the sound quality gets better. Like, Cordelia's wardrobe better. So, thanks for sticking with us and happy listening. All right, I'm here. I have my notes. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everybody. This is Big Mistake. This is our third episode, but we are talking about episode four of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is called Teacher's Pet. A double entendre. I just got it. Oh, I I had never gotten it before. This is the first time. <laughs> it's okay. You were nine when you watched the first one, right? Well, I was nine when I watched the first one, but I the most recent time I watched it, I was in my early 30s. All right, let's do it. Let's start episode four. Episode three of episode four, Teacher's Pet. Teacher's Pet, episode summary. The Buffyverse wiki did not feel like it needed to grace us with an episode summary, so I sort of pieced together some sentences here and there. We all do what we can. It's 2020. Episode summary. Xander is smitten by the substitute biology teacher, Miss French, who turns out to be something the Slayerettes never expected. Her infatuation with Xander is flattering to the lovesick teen, but alarming to Buffy. Yes. Yeah, I can see why the Buffyverse didn't write a summary for this. It's, you know, it's a perfectly serviceable episode of the week. With, however, the angel bits really make it. We'll, we'll get into it. <laughs> I'm sure we will. Fans, uh, when we were doing our watch of this episode, Aditi sent me a text message that said ANGEL is in this one in all capital letters with about 20 tongue emojis. Melissa, thank you, I'm a good Christian woman. Oh, were those not tongues? <laughs> those were crosses for Jesus. Oh, oh, cause he's an angel. Don't, don't make me blush. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's very important that he was back in cause I was losing steam. Uh, no, no, I'm it, it was a one I'm episode. There was a one episode angel lull, and you were ready to bail on the entire podcast. I need so little to sustain me until the next. Like I am the perfect market for any sort of, um, you know, Victorian like era or even like Regency era uh, like miniseries where there's just like one smoldering glance in the entire 60 minute episode of like the miniseries and that sustains me until the next one like I need very little to survive well I, I'm glad that uh, that this did it for you how long can you yeah. survive on a leather jacket <laughs> quite frankly indefinitely it keeps you warm one of the basic needs leather is kind of like a jerky so it lasts for a long time <laughs> do you like my jerk jacket <laughs> oh, I I don't like that. I don't know how I feel about that. 
Um, my favorite, and I believe, and as someone who owns this, my favorite rebranding of uh, plastic is vegan leather. Like, <laughs> I also own a vegan leather jacket, but I'm fully aware that it is just plastic. All right. Um, so before we begin on the recap, should we do our Slayer name? I think we should. Slay or nay. Let's start with Buffy. What did you think of her fashion this episode? Well, not to belabor too fine of a point, but she did also love the jacket. She, she did. wore it a lot. Yeah. Um, I loved, loved the oversized jacket with the plaid mod dress and the boots. I'm very predictable. Love that. I also really, really loved the uh, white shirt with the tasteful belly and the mustard yellow pants. And I 100% had that headband comb. Did you ever have one of those? Uh, I think I had one, but they were made, the one I had anyway was made of like a very cheap uh, vegan leather material. <laughs> and it immediately worked because mm-hmm. I left it in the car in the Texas heat. And so it then never recreated like a nice uh, uniform headband line. It was always a little wonky. Yeah, I think as children of the 90s, we had so many hair accessories. Like I had headbands, I had barrettes, I had butterfly clips. Yeah, butterfly clip. Uh, The big, the big clip that you used to put up all your hair. Uh, I have so few hair accessories now. It's a real, it's a real uh, missed opportunity for rebranding. Yeah, I loved everything she wore. Shocking no one. Do you remember, uh, speaking of plastic hair accessories, do you remember the Topsy tail? Oh, yes. Yes. I can't remember. I remember the infomercials. I remember thinking, you can do this without the Topsy tail, but, you know, again, branding. The Topsy tail helps, let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, you could do it without the Topsy tail, but why? <laughs> That's true, but why? That could be said for so much of American <laughs> <laughs> I have encountered the woman who actually created the Topsy Tail, and it has a very interesting backstory. Uh, she now runs an online lingerie boutique, but oh. and that's where she invested all of her Topsy Tail profits. But before, when she was just a young woman from Dallas with um, with wild hair and a dream, she knew that the Topsy Tail would be worth something but she needed capital so that she could start her hair empire. And so in order to get that capital, she was like, I need to brand myself as an expert in something that no one can prove I'm not. And so she branded herself as an expert on kissing and wrote a book on how to be a great kisser. And she made five grand and that's what she used to create the Topsy Tale. How did you learn this? I'm Googling this as we speak. She was a client at the agency that I used to work for back when I was a sex toy salesstress, a dong draper, if you will. Wow. You really, you know what, though? Every day I find new reasons to love you. Oh, well, someone's getting pregnant by the end of this podcast. (laughs) So so we've addressed Buffy. Whom else shall we discuss? Um, let's see... Uh, I, I quickly want to address, before we move on from yeah. Buffy, the beginning of the episode starts with Buffy very done up in like a very shiny red dress and very uh, fluffy Barbarella hair. And I thought it was awesome, even though it wasn't something Buffy would typically wear. 
I think she pulled it off very well. I thought she looked great. Yes. I also really like the black dress that she wore to the bronze. I just think, like, you know, everything she wears is really cute. I like the fact that her hair has, like, so many layers that it constantly looks like it's moving. Um, I like that it was in the time period, like, just before, like, super glossy lips and just, like, you know, just when, like, people really wore brown lipstick. So it's it's a very it's a very distinct time fashion wise oh yeah um speaking of let's move on to willow did she have anything that spoke to you this episode again it's too difficult to critique willow because she dresses the most like i did which is horrific um (laughs) so it's hard to criticize the thing you are and the thing you love uh you know she just she looked fine as i did too You know what? It's funny that you say that she dressed the most like you because I have in my notes, I would probably wear um, her terribly mismatched blue striped sweater, leopard mini skirt, and sneakers today. I would wear it. And I wouldn't realize that I was making a mistake. (laughs) She had plaid pants and I thought of you. Uh, Fine wearer of plaid pants. I noticed her plaid pants, but I felt that the rest of the outfit was not enough to bring it up. But that's probably how I would wear the plaid pants. This is shameful. Yeah, it's hard to pick on her because she she is the most team-like. Yeah, it's like looking in a mirror. Yeah. Um, Xander had some truly atrocious shirts. The, <laughs> the best was that, like wood colored and I don't even know it was it was what fabric it was it wasn't crushed velvet but it did have a texture of some kind oh yeah I have (laughs) I have suede four question marks I couldn't Mm. figure it out either Mm. yeah of miscellaneous fabric (laughs) uh we had a lot of like of those like you know uh the what is that knit called it's like that really heavy knit with the different stripes on it like the long sleeve crew neck knit shirts Cable knit? Time. He, you know, he, look, he also looked very teenage, I will say. I, so I also noted the brown, mysterious, uh, unobtainium shirt with <laughs> what really uh, caught my eye was that he was wearing some sort of giant silver ring with a large black stone in it. And it was very distracting. It's like something you would see in like a store by the side of the road in New Mexico, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's so large, and I don't understand. I just, I was so taken aback by it. I was I was like, I don't remember anything about a cursed ring in this episode, because it does look like some kind of relic or artifact that would contain malice in some, some way. The only thing that contained malice was poor Xander and his love of crushed velvet shirts (laughs) poor xander and his love of anything and anything that loves xander xander is cursed xander is this ring i think this was you know a really really interesting episode in just just being a teenage boy is hard uh you want to impress people you want to treat girls as objects but you also deeply crave human connection like it's really it's difficult you are being so generous and so compassionate towards this episode. I find it really admirable. <laughs> well, <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm prompt. I'm just stealing. I'm just like girding my loins to get hate mail. So I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm trying to um, speak to the various factions in the in the Buffy universe. 
I honestly think this might be my least favorite episode of the entire series. Really? Yeah. Um, That's good to know because I, spoiler alert, also was not a fan. Yeah, I I mean, I don't want to jump ahead to our rating, but um, you can guess that this isn't a high stakes for me. I feel like they tackled some pretty big themes and they did it in a way that was very clumsy and we don't really learn anything new about any of the characters or about the universe that they live in. So it's kind of like, it's a very um, episode of the week, filler episode. We get nothing. It's like very clumsy and like clunky and glock, like, you know, just, um, it, it, it it doesn't use any of the tropes to teach a lesson in a way that you would expect. So it just kind of feels flat. Like, for example, with the Blaine character, like, he not he neither changed nor has some sort of, like, he has no redemption, nor does he have, like, some sort of retribution that happens to him for being, like, a shitty dude. He just is, which, you know, is probably more apt for reality, but considering it was a teen show, it's weird that it just, it has no resolution. Yeah, and it's the same with Xander as well, because, like, I'm not really invested in Blaine as a character. He's kind of, like, it's clear that he's, like, a throwaway or, like, a foil or something. But, you know, this is a big experience with Xander, who doesn't have a... He hasn't spent a lot of time with women his age or otherwise. And this is probably, like, a very formative experience for him. And he really doesn't take it into account. It doesn't really change the way that he views women or treats the women who are his friends. So... Yeah. I, I will say one thing, and maybe this is on my mind because Mary Kayla Turner just died, but it is really interesting to see, like, the way that an older woman, younger, like, a child, like a, you know, a male child dynamic is played in our culture. Like, it's it's far less, like, it's creepy because she is a praying mantis, not necessarily creepy because it's an adult predating a child. So I think, like, that was interesting. Um, and it is, like, you know, a trope that unfortunately seems to play out throughout popular culture, whereas pretty universally in at least popular culture, like, you know, older older uh, male character and like young, you know, underage female character is pretty much like, you know, has an element of taboo. Whereas like, there's this line I wrote down, like Xander's mom, like what he told Xander, Xander told his mom that he was going to his teacher's house to work on a project. His mom said, yes, like that's, that's not, not great. No. And, and we learn more about Xander's family and home life as the show goes on. His mom really, his parents don't play a huge role. I don't think you ever actually see them on screen, but you hear about them and their relationship with Xander and you kind of get the feeling that he fends for himself a lot. So, I mean, like, this is sort of the first glimpse into like, oh, maybe something is weird there. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree. I think it was, it was fine. It was a fine episode. I know that we have, we have jumped around. Should we finish Slayer Nay before we go through the episode? Yes, let's finish Slayer Nay because, as always, I have very shameful slays. But go on. Okay. Should we talk about the jacket? Should we talk about Angel's jacket? Yeah, let's talk about it. All right. Uh, it was a shameful slay. 
I actually do like that she wears it around. I think it's cute, and you can see it pop up for the rest of, of time. And I also think it's good continuity that the same thing happens with the cross necklace that he gave her. You can see her wearing it throughout the series as it goes on, the necklace and the jacket, which is, like, it It helps build relationships in universe. I, I also <laughs> thought it was very funny how she's wearing his leather jacket around and then they run into each other at the bronze and he somehow has another leather jacket. He just has an he's infinite like, supply. Yeah, he's Britta. He has an endless supply of leather jackets. He is. He is the friend with the endless supply of leather jackets. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, you know, he can do no wrong. Yet. Um, I also, let's see, any other clothes? Well, you know, our girl Cordelia really wasn't in the episode very much, but I will say her barrettes when she was being interviewed by, like, the school counselor, total slay. Love the hair barrettes. She looked great. She always looks great. She's always Always. a slay. Except when she's dressed up as an administrative assistant. Which is often, weirdly enough. So my two shameful slays look, when they go to the bronze and there's that band playing and they do like I literally had a note that said silver shirt guy I love I love this is not one that I would personally wear but (laughs) yeah I I had that written down as well it had very big uh xenon girl of me for century energy with the main singer on the show what was his name protozoa it had that energy. <laughs> I've never seen this show, but you're really selling it for me. Oh my god, we will discuss. Xenon Girl of the 21st Century is a phenomenal Disney original movie, and it made me hopeful for the future, which in hindsight was a waste of time. Ah, uh, see, I never had the Disney Channel, so I never knew to hope for a better world. You were ahead of the game, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Silver Shirt Guy. He was great. I'm so glad that you love Silver Shirt Guy. I really thought yeah. we were going to have a fight over this one. No, I loved it. I was like, this is, you know why? Because you have to be really confident to pull it off. And he was. It was just so perfect for the time. Like, even if I didn't know the context of this show, I would only have to see Silver Shirt Guy <laughs> and I would immediately know everything I needed. Silver Shirt is all the context anyone needs for the Buffyverse. <laughs> Also, this podcast is really giving me a good excuse to find out who all of these bronze bands are, Mm -hmm. because they really do spend a lot of screen time showcasing these bands that play at the bronze, and I had really never heard of any of them, and like... (laughs) I don't know if they were popular at the time or if they were like up and coming and they thought they were going to take off. But like these are all real bands that have real albums. And I bet they all thought that this was their big break. So this band, Silver Shirt Man, is the front man of a band called Superfine. And in the show, he's playing their hit single Already Met You off their album Immaculate Rejection. I love all these band names. Wow, 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 wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's great. And the other band from Welcome to the Hellmouth and the Harvest, that band was called Sprung Monkey. Like, yeah, I right. love this. I, I love these band names. It, 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 it definitely adds, like, color to the show. Yeah. I don't know if these are all California bands, what the, what the thread is that connects all of them and why they were showcased. I'll, I'll do some digging, and next episode maybe I'll have more info for you. 
and the fans. Yeah, I know. I'm excited to do some digging when we finish the season on season one because fans, I'm trying to be really good about not Googling because spoilies are everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's been 20 years. People have stopped being careful. It's true. (laughs) Why don't they think about me, the poor, innocent adult? I I want you to know I've also been working very hard to avoid spoilies for you, to to keep your innocence and purity. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can only hope that I am intellectually pure like the praying mantis lady would want. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we got to we got to keep that virginal brain. Yes, yes, yes. My soft pillowy untouched brain. <laughs> Gross. Pillowy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> His brains are soft. They're like they're like uh, yeah, sure. All right. Okay, okay. we're over. We're, we're we're done with Slayer Nay. Shall we go through the recap? Well, should we do? Is it cute? Is this a bit we should commit to? Is it cute? Okay. Is it cute? The episode, the praying mantis. The praying mantis. Yes. No. No. Emphatic- emphatically not. Not cute. <laughs> Predation is not cute unless it's in the wilderness and you have to survive. Yes. I, I think unless it's a life or death situation, you should not kidnap a teenage virgin and then mate with him forcibly to fertilize your egg sacs. Not cute unless it's life or death and there's no other choice. Okay, so is it cute? I separated it into is it cute physically or is its personality cute? It pains me to say that Miss French is cute physically, but personality, not cute. Yeah, so I have pederasty is not cute, nor is drugging people in order to lock them in your dungeon. A love and extensive knowledge of bugs is extremely cute, though. This is true. This is true. That That's true. I'll, I'll, I'll give her that. Yeah, I, I try to find one cute thing about every Buffy villain. Honestly, that's the cutest thing about you. Oh, thank you. Always looking on the bright side. (laughs) Always looking on the cute side. (laughs) Both sides are my cute side. (laughs) Oh, and I also have, between the ambiguous ages of all of the characters and their strangely adult style, she almost looks like another student with the clothing she wears. Like, she's dressed a little bit younger than Cordelia dresses. I was about to say she has Cordelia energy. Yeah. I remember when I watched the show, I got right away that she was older. But, like, mm-hmm. I'm not sure why, because there's nothing really differentiating her from any of the students. She just, she acts adult. Yeah, I guess she does act adult. So we've we've decided not cute. <laughs> the scales are heavily falling toward not cute. Yeah, I, I tried, but I don't think I can argue for the, the evil praying mantis monster. Can't win them all. <laughs> Can't win them all. One day we'll have a cute one. One day. I mean, one can argue that Angel is a cute monster. Mm, I'm sure we'll get to that argument soon enough. I'm sure we will. Fans, we do this for you. Imagine if we agreed on Angel, the show would be so boring. That's true. We'd have to drag out Is It Cute for a whole 45 minutes. <laughs> And now, a word from our sponsor. Are you searching for the perfect, sensible button-down for your first day of sophomore year? You're in luck. Sunnydale Outlet Mall has everything to satisfy your sartorial needs. Browse their vast selection of fine clothing stores, including Lapel Me About It, Lapelephant, Collar, We Barely Know Her, San Lapellegrino, The Lapel Doesn't Fall Far From The Tree, Caller Me By Your Name, Lapelagonza, Caller General, Keenan and Lapel, Lapel Salvador, London Collaring, 
and Delia's. When it comes to fashion in Sunnydale, it truly is the size that counts. So take a trip to Sunnydale Outlet Mall, where the only thing wider than their selection is their lapels. The show begins, and it starts in medias res. At first, I was like, okay, Xander. Like, you know, fighting, having confidence, looking good. And I was like, oh, this is absolutely a dream. Good job, buddy. <laughs> it's interesting because he plays guitar in his fantasy, something he never expresses the desire to do in real life. But, I mean, whatever this other band was, Silver Shirt Man made it look really cool. So. Yeah. Xander cannot pull off a silver shirt in real life, so maybe in dream life he will. Even in dream life, he knew he couldn't pull off that silver shirt. (laughs) It's really telling that even in dream life, you know your limitations. Yeah. I mean, dream big, but not too big. (laughs) Yeah. Aim for the bronze, not the silver. (laughs) (laughs) Look, this episode did not give us a lot to work with. (laughs) So we wake up and uh, he's in biology class, but sadly, there's no chemistry between him and Buffy. At first, like, okay, bio teacher, what's going on there? Dr. Gregory, I don't get you. And then I was like, Dr. Gregory is so invested in our girl. I really like Dr. Gregory. He is one of the few adults who actually commits to helping Buffy besides Giles. Like a lot of teachers talk the talk like our young principal Flutie who tore up her permanent record and then actually read her permanent record and hastily taped it back together. Dr. Gregory, I think, really does want to help her, which is nice. I very yes, I, I really liked him a lot. I really he I wrote he's tough because he cares. And then the music turned ominous and I was like, oh no, he's gonna be a baddie. But then surprise, he got incepted or yerked or something. I have in my notes, he is looking at slides. He changes from thin, gold-rimmed, framed glasses to thick glasses for no reason. We gotta get that man some bifocals. Yeah, and, and the glasses are very important because they come into play later in the episode. But yes. in the beginning, he's wearing these glasses with thin gold frames, and then he changes them for reasons that I don't understand. And then his other pair of glasses is just gone with his head, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Yes, you're right. I, I I liked him, and I'm sad that he had such a short uh, character arc. But yeah. he seemed next man. Yeah, next scene, we're at the bronze. Enter Silver Shirt Man. Enter Silver Shirt Man. He's so mean to Xander. And Xander's terrible shirt. Apparently, Silver Shirt Man, this song that he is singing, was on the Buffy the Vampire Slayer album, which apparently they made, and apparently contains songs that didn't even appear in the show, but they're all of the of the ilk that was played at the bronze during these early seasons, and I must have it. So I I will spend my next week scouring the internet to find Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the album. And if you can help us with this, it would be great. Yes. Please, please send me. I'm very poor. <laughs> Yes, so we're, we're, we're in the bronze, and then, uh, you know, Xander and Blaine have their weird women are objects conversation, which, you know, whatever. And uh, let's be honest, it's all filler for 
you know who walking into the proms. You are so excited about Angel walking into the bronze that you didn't even mention we have a black actor with a speaking role in this scene. A rarity. We do. The friend who's like the one who's back from college. You're right. You're Mm -hmm. right. I I deeply apologize. Uh, Wow. 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 That that is a damning indictment of who I am as a person. So (laughs) you got angel vision. (laughs) I just got angel dust in my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) The the notes I have are in all caps for a while. I wrote, Angel is back, thank God. He gave her his jacket. I burn, I pine, I perish. (laughs) Here are my notes. Xander and Willow see Angel for the first time, lurking. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) I love that Buffy calls him out on his awful personality. Then he takes off his leather jacket at this point in the scene. And my notes say, damn, those arms, though. Damn, those cuts, though. So that was my progression. Yeah. Yeah, he, you know, he noticed that she was cold, which I appreciate. (laughs) I'm sorry. You're always cold, too. You would appreciate the jacket. I would. You're right. I appreciate that he gave her some advice on how to dodge the monster with the fork for a hand. And then he, you know, skulked away. Sexy style. Ew. I I didn't realize that skulking was what did it for you. (laughs) Yeah, he's great. (laughs) Moving on. Well, so here's what I have. So he he does warn Buffy about the monster with the fork for the hand. But all he does is say, he's coming. He'll rip your throat out. And like, he clearly knows who this monster is, but refuses to say any more. And I don't understand why. Like, if he truly wanted to be helpful. That wasn't, like, I think in the desire to be mysterious, it's unhelpful. And, sir, you have enough going on for you. You don't have to have another affectation of a personality. Yeah, like, clearly the leather jacket arm reveal is enough. I just... (laughs) This is what I mean by uh, by a Jay Bilzerian personality, where he'll just say something like, he'll rip your throat out and then disappear. Like, who does that? Who says these things? Well, I mean, I wasn't a slayer in high school. I don't know what it's like. <sighs> so we go to school the next day, and Blaine says things. He's very annoying. And then <laughs> we, see, uh, we see Miss French walk in, and at first... I thought she was Australian. But then you heard her name and you realized, oh, she's French? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and then I heard her accent. I thought she was Spanish. And I was like, what is this pre-9-11 visa system? Like, I don't understand how they're able to import so much international educational talent into the school. <laughs> so, yeah, I was very confused. And then we had the lesson with the bugs. And I was like, damn, she is really protective of bugs. That's cool. And then she described the bugs, and I was like, maybe that's also me, because she said they were noble, solitary, and prolific. And just like you. Yes, just like me. Uh, Miss French is talking to the class about bugs, and all the boys have boners. Yet when I go on a 15-minute tangent about bugs, nobody is lining up to help me make model egg sex after school. Interesting. So Not cute. Not cute. Yeah, she has a pheromone things going on, so, you know. There, there is that. Mm-hmm. And then she she has the incredibly inappropriate offer to have these 
boys help her make model XX. Well, I don't think the offer itself is inappropriate. Like, if someone wanted to stay after school to help do a science project for extra credit, I think that would be fine. The context is what I mean. Yeah, yeah. obviously schoolwork is schoolwork, but yeah. The context and then the escalation to her home. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah so then we go back to the... Um, no, then we're in the cafeteria. We're in the cafeteria, we see some truly government-subsidized feed that the children have to eat. It uh, it all sort of glops onto a tray. Mm-hmm. It doesn't Ketchup land. The vegetable. Yeah, it food does not make contact with tray in a manner that is graceful or elegant. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was pretty gross. Um, also, my favorite visual of the show is that in an attempt to beef up one's energy and virility, Blaine gets four cartons of milk. <laughs> I didn't notice that. It was so gross. Hey, my bones are gonna be strong, bruh. He needed to prepare for his bone sesh by fortifying his bones. Yeah, does a body good, baby. So that honestly is the most like memorable scene in the show for me. <laughs> then we see our Queen Cordelia, probably uh, you know. She was, yeah, she was bossing people around, and then she opens up the, the storage, the cold storage. And then we see Professor Gregory. I I feel like my reaction to Cordelia, I'm not sure if this is more of a reflection on Cordelia or on myself. Cordelia runs into the cafeteria, and she says that she has a medically prescribed lunch. And my first thought was, she's making this up so that she doesn't have to eat the inelegant cafeteria food. Is that fair? Is that a fair assumption? I immediately thought that. Okay, cool. She just has that air. Yeah, immediately. She's 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 better than us plebes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so she goes in for her medically prescribed lunch and opens the freezer to find in a scene very reminiscent of Clue a body mm-hmm. in the kitchen freezer. Yes, it was it was intense and then we cut to the library and poor Buffy, she's sad. She really, you know, she felt like she had connected with him and she she was she was clearly distraught. Yeah, I thought it was very sweet how they took a moment to mourn Dr. Gregory because it's really not something that they do throughout the show. And I think that part of that is out of necessity because so many people die in Sunnydale due to the uh, Hellmouth issue. But mm-hmm. even for characters that they are ostensibly close to, like young Jesse from the first episode, they they don't really take a minute to mourn the people that pass who they know. So it was nice that they did it for Dr. Gregory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I, I like that. And then, you know, clearly the gang has something afoot. Cora Giles is like, please don't do anything rash. Obviously Buffy is going to do something rash. Yeah, just huge rash. <laughs> Big Miss Rash. I will say, and I'm curious, does this fork monster come back? Because it felt very strange. She, well, in the episode, she murders the fork monster. Okay, okay, so it was just like, it just felt like a lot of effort for like this deus ex machina thing to find, to find Miss French at the end. Like, there was no background. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's an excuse for Angel to be vaguely threatening and strange, and... I think this just is kind of a a weak episode because it really is a lot of extra work. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So she's in the the cemetery. She meets, you know, the fork man, fork vampire. And just when you think he's about to attack another innocent lady, turns out 
Miss French. So she she finds him behind these fake trees that he just leans casually across the mouth of a cave. <laughs> and she's about to slay him, but then a man in a very silly hat, literally brandishing a gun, comes over the <laughs> hill and is like, stop, police, and is just waving a gun around. Law <laughs> enforcement in Sunnydale is questionable. Yeah, that, that was also quite a, quite a moment. I guess the the main takeaway from this sequence is that something is up with Science Lady. Yeah, because Forkman sees her and runs away as she is walking home with her groceries. And because this episode has given us little to work with, I dug a little bit deeper into those groceries. Tell me. What does a bug lady buy at the store? We see later in the episode uh, that bread and mayonnaise were included, and we'll get to that later, because that is very upsetting for me, and probably one of the reasons why I hate this episode so much. (laughs) I paused the show when her groceries were visible, so do you want to take any guesses at what a sexy bug lady gets at the grocery store? She got Wonder Bread. She got... I think some sort of like packaged cookie or packaged cracker situation. And I think some miscellaneous like house thing that's not food. I think you're right about the Wonder Bread because we see her eating it later. But according to the freeze frame on my television, she is carrying what looks to be some sort of the mask themed item, like the Jim Carrey movie, The Mask. Apparently there was a mask 3D board game. So I think that might be it. Wow. Well, I know. Maybe we should review wow. the board game next episode. <laughs> and then in the other bag, there was a box that I thought said queso on it. And I was like, who just sells a box of queso? Like, that doesn't make sense. But it really looks like a word quisp, Q-U-I-S-P. So mm-hmm. I googled that word. Mm-hmm. And fans, do you know... It is a cereal that was primarily sold online with the advent of the internet, which would have been about this time. So they ordered the only cereal they could (laughs) from the internet. Isn't that wild? And it was probably more difficult than going to the store at that time to do this. Yeah, that that fits for this episode. Yeah, like everything is much more work than it has to be, and it doesn't even make sense. That could be the tagline for the episode. Yeah. Great, thank you for that game. Uh, I lost, much like us watching this episode. Yeah, (laughs) I am really surprised you didn't guess Quisp. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) No. No. We're back in school. Flowey is trying to do some, like, I will save this child from a life of delinquency by making her talk to the school counselor, but she just wants to live. Well, she wants to get to science class because she has to catch the sexy bug lady. That's true. That's true. That's true. But she has to do her school-mandated healing. (laughs) Are we done? Did we heal her? We're good, right? (laughs) And so she goes to the guidance counselor's office and overhears Cordelia with her wonderful barrettes in there grieving in the most Cordelia way, and I loved it. Yeah, if Cordelia were a character alive now, she would be an (laughs) eco-fascist. Cordelia is incredible. She, uh, (laughs) much like my approach to uh, the is it cute bit, she approaches death trying to find that silver lining and says, it's like how even a used Mercedes still has leather seats because (laughs) she was so traumatized that she lost weight. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is true. She did find the silver cute lining in death. Yeah, so maybe the beheading was cute. Maybe. One could say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, thank God we're not uh, counselors to unpack that gem. Yeah. No. No one should put us in charge of other people's emotional well-being. Nah. <laughs> Buffy goes to the window to the classroom, and then she sees the pivotal scene that tells us viewers that something is not right with Miss French. She turned her head completely around. She did. She did. She she, she did. turned her head completely around like the exorcist or an owl or a praying mantis. And yeah, and that scene coupled with her wonder bread and mayonnaise and insect eating scene when she ate the bugs convinced us that she is praying mantis. The addition of mayonnaise to that sandwich was so unnecessary. This this was a stake through my heart. I my feelings were so hurt. I, I fans I have a deep and visceral hatred for this condiment and to, I like I would eat a fly sandwich, but I would not eat a fly and many and mayonnaise sandwich. I would not. It really, it, you really do hate mayonnaise. I can attest. I can attest to this. <laughs> it was a steak through your heart. Okay, let's finish this episode strong. Right, okay. Um, okay, so we know that she's a praying mantis. And we and know she has terrible taste. Terrible taste. Terrible yes. taste. This is when she asks um, Xander to come to her home for studying in quotation marks. But she does it in a way that really infuriates me, not only because she is committing a crime, like everything about it is very bad, but the way she does it is like, oh no, stupid sexy dummy left her stupid sexy egg sacs at home. Oops. Like, I mean, are- I understand Christmas. Yes. Are, are you a stupid baby? Is that what boys like? I mean, apparently, yes. How much did this infuriate and or inform you as a nine-year-old? Uh, I mean, I thought the scary bug lady was bad for being mean to Xander. That was my take on it. Oh, that's very sweet. Xander was soft, and he needed yeah. protecting. He was clearly, like, his uh, virginal nerd status was so bad as to be literally debilitating. He couldn't talk. <laughs> It, it was it was bad for poor Xander. Yeah, yeah. So we get to the house and uh, Miss French asking Xander's, Xander if he is known to the ways of the secular flesh was just so funny to me. <laughs> it just, it really got me. Um, and then she gave this child a martini. A child. You didn't even give him like a Bacardi breezer or like a booze. <laughs> nope. Nope, she she had used her last Bartles and James on, uh, what's his name? Blaine. Blaine, yeah. She, she didn't even, like, give him something age-appropriate. <laughs> that whole scene was so deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> I hated it. I hated it so much. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, uh, it was pretty rough. But I will now want to discuss the stake through my heart. Uh-huh. The stake through my heart is when we get confirmation that our sweet summer child Willow 
has a crush on Xander. Mm. And the love triangle was a stake through my heart because someone, and by someone I mean almost everyone except Buffy, is going to be sad. Yeah, and I I think Willow's inadvertent savagery in this episode <laughs> is incredible. Like, when they, when they realize that the praying mantis goes after virgins, she immediately knows... <laughs> Xander is in danger. They they uh, go to the neighborhood and they discover that Miss French used uh, you know used someone else's identity. So then they're like, well, how do we find Xander? Meanwhile, Xander and Blaine are locked up, about to be fed to Miss French. Then they find the Fork Man, right? And they use him kind of like a, like a you know like a divining fork, if you will. Well, so first they they. So Giles makes one quick transatlantic phone call to an insane That's asylum. To his school chum in the old in ye old mental hospital. And he learns about the She Mantis, aka Virgin Thief, which I She Mantis who steals Virgins. Ha 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 The only appropriate reaction. sirens of like i understand like mythology has always used some like archetypical like virgin like element but this one was so weird yeah i i i this is an indefensible episode it doesn't even really look down upon the older woman taking advantage of children it really just looked upon it looked down upon becoming a bug and murdering like, yeah. the whole pederasty thing is not even discussed at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. So... Wait, they go They go to um, the real Miss French's house, and they discover the virgin thief is also an identity thief. <laughs> so they meet Mrs. French, the real Miss French. And do you know who the actress is who plays her? Who? It is Ron Howard's mom, Jean Spiegel Ron Howard. Howard. Mom Howard. Mom Howard, that's very nice. Yeah. So there's one redeemable thing, I guess, about this episode. <laughs> Mom of Opie. So then, now we're back. We're in it. We're in. We're in the nest. The nest of the praying mantis. Yes. And this is when they try to play the bat signal, and it was really sweet. She was like, "I'm using what Professor Gregory taught me. I did my homework. Mm-hmm. Now it's." Yeah, and then they try to play the bat noise, but then it was Giles's like notes to self. Um, <laughs> and then they play that, and then yeah, they get rid of her really quickly. Like I thought she was gonna come up for round two, but they they disposed of her quite quickly. Yeah, uh, it was a very anticlimactic fight. Mm-hmm. I I do like how they give Giles this um this personality trait of disliking any sort of technology more recent than a book. Yeah. Because he he is like, oh, ha- hacking is legal, right? That's not how he talks. But in in a very British way, he's like, eh, I didn't see it. Do whatever you want. Couldn't have stopped you. And then yeah. he's not familiar with the video section of his own library. Which I guess is fine. He's uh, he's only there in a watching capacity, even though he is technically supposed to be the school librarian. Uh, but no student ever reads a book at that school, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and 
Miss French has huge JWoww energy because after she has sex with a guy, she will rip their heads off. <laughs> Thank you for that. Wow, you really can make a reference to anything. <laughs> I wonder how many of our fans uh, love Buffy and truly bottom of the barrel reality television. We're not talking about locked up love. We're not there yet. Love, love, love after lockup. Love, whatever. How love dare whatever. you? I will say the most attractive I have found Xander as a human was when he told Buffy, for the rec- just for the record, you were right, and I'm an idiot, and God bless you. Yeah, I think Xander does have moments of clarity, but unfortunately, they don't really last. So that's basically it, but I would be 100% remiss if we didn't discuss the last scene with Angel and Buffy. Oh, wait, I, I have some notes before we we go back to that last scene. Can you see? I'm just ready to go. I'm ready to talk about it. I know, you've got angel vision. <laughs> <laughs> so after after they free Blaine and everything, they're in Miss French's uh, murder sex dungeon basement, and mm-hmm. Willow, <laughs> sweet Willow, is like, here you guys are trying to do the right thing, being virgins, and then she attacks you for it. Like, that's fucked up. And so we learn that Blaine, too, is a virgin. Yes, Toxic yes. masculinity makes fools of us all. And in true American fashion, threatened with his lawsuit. The litigious nature of this country. Honestly. Ugh. Back at the bronze, Angel has somehow found another leather jacket. So, first of all, why is Buffy drinking a cup of tea at the bronze? Like, even, like, it just seemed out of sorts. But I digress. The um, bronze is yeah. whatever you need it to be. Like, it's a it's a cafe because they have coffee and tea and, like, pastries. It's a venue for a sprung monkey. And it is also, like, a nightclub because people have drinks there. It really, it, it does all things. It's like the room of requirement. Yes, so it, the, it is whatever you want it to be. It is the room of requirement. So he, he skulks in. Skulk like. Is skulk your favorite verb? Is that like... He like saunters in, then how about that? No, 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 that's not to say that you were using it a lot. I mean, like, is it your favorite thing that people do? No, I you know I really should pay more attention to when people enter rooms. I'll I'll I'll, I'll take a note of it the next time we are allowed to leave our homes in three years. Yeah, the next time <laughs> we can skulk out of our homes. <laughs> um, he like skulks in and he's like, "You did a good job" or whatever, and she's <laughs> like, "Oh, whatever," and like gives it back. She gives it back as good as he tries to give it, and <laughs> I don't really care about the dialogue, but this. But when he walks away and he gives her the last glance. Ah! Oh, <laughs> I loved it. Oh, wow. Okay, so it, it ignited some flames. It did. It did. I have angel vision. All right. Okay, all right. So uh, what would you, what would your ideal progression be of a Buffy and Angel storyline? I'm excited to see them finally, like, admit their feelings for another one another i'm sure like it's a seven uh, season show i'm sure they date at some point i'm sure that they the road to love is never smooth so i'm sure that there are going to be ups and downs i'm curious i will say if i were a child i would want them to be together forever 
but as an adult, I am less old. Let's see. Okay, so you you don't want them to be together forever, but maybe for like for a good like six months. Yeah, because I held this controversial opinion that maybe your brain changes in seven years. Mm, yeah, I mean, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to remember all of this when the actors are clearly like thirty years old. <laughs> maybe I'm uh, very into Angel because he is someone my age in the show. Yeah. <laughs> well. We'll get into this in in a future episode, so as not to spoil your pillowy pillowy brain. <laughs> exactly. Last scene, they're in the bio room. She sees the glasses. She tucks them into the jacket. The last scene, however, disgusting. Oh, because the egg is hatching. Well, not cute. Not cute. Okay, but this raises a question for me. Because we know that in true Jenny Farley fashion, after she has sex with a guy, she will rip their head off. And Dr. Gregory was found with his head ripped off. And those eggs were fertilized because one of them was hatching. So does that mean that Dr. Gregory was an elderly virgin? I mean, signs signs point to a lonely life for Dr. Gregory. That makes me very sad for him. But... The logic checks out. Yeah. Like, nothing about this episode makes sense. Man, maybe she was desperate to, like, just get some eggs out there, and then she could take her attention to the soft, pillowy youth of Blaine with a Y and Xander. So does that mean that Dr. Gregory was, like, sort of a virgin? I don't know if she was being that picky since it was her first kill. I, I This is a really tough question. Yeah, it is. accept certain things about this world that I don't want to accept. Big, uh, big 40-year-old virgin inspiration from <laughs> old Dr. <laughs> Gregory. Yeah. yeah. Man, wow. Well, I mean, at least, at least he went out like he came into this world screaming. <laughs> sure. I mean, there's really not a lot I can do to polish this episode. No, there's really not. No lessons were learned. <laughs> Should we rate it? Oh, yeah, let's rate it. What do you think? Rate it. Low. The lowest of the low stakes. Yeah. Uh, I can't argue with you there, man. This was a bad episode. This this really is, I, I truly believe, the low point for this series. So. Oh, good. Yeah, as soon as we get over this hump, it's a little better. Um, That's good to know, because it was, it was rough. Yeah. I mean, season one is uh, widely agreed upon to be the worst season of the show, and I feel as though this episode is the worst episode of season one. There are other episodes in later seasons that people claim to be the worst, but I have to disagree. I think that the quality of the show is so much better in those later seasons that even the duds are not as poor as this. Well, Melissa, it was an honor serving with you. <laughs> I'm I'm glad we made it through together. I think we're trauma bonded because of this episode. <laughs> the trauma bonding of your 20s plus teacher's pet. All right, dear viewers, dear listeners, dear... What if we call ourselves The Watchers? Because it's funny, because it's a podcast, but we're talking about a TV show. Oh, yeah. Giles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
can we call you watchers? We're recording all of these all. So these are all recorded in advance. None of you have heard us ask for your suggestions yet. So uh, we'll call you watchers until further notice, I guess. All right, watchers. Thanks for a rollicking good time. If we call our fans watchers at the end, we can say, and now your watch has ended because Mm -hmm. that's relevant to a TV show. (laughs) (laughs) All right, watchers. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll see you next time. Stay away from bugs. And now your watch is ended. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another fantastic episode of Big Mistake. If you have any messages for us, or if the apocalypse comes, beep us at Big Mistake Pod on Twitter or Big Mistake at gmail.com. That's B I G M I S S S T A K E. See you at the bronze. <laughs>